I hope that you have had a great week. Mine has been the pits. Uh, uh, some of you may know my wife, Pat, and uh, uh, she's a wonderful lady, uh, very active in our church and uh, goes to the earlier service. And if I want her to know anything that I'm saying here, I will tell her. But she has had a tough, tough week. Um, she was scheduled last Wednesday to have uh, uh, a scope on her knee. Uh, she had some torn cartilage, and so she was trying to get all the exercise she could. And so she was out on her bike Monday morning. That was going so far that she needed a couple of water bottles, and she's trying to change the water bottles out. And she fumbled around and hit a, a rock or a crack in the pavement or something and took a tumble and uh, scraped her knee up real bad. And uh, um, she, uh, she hit her head, but we can't tell any difference. Oh, it's because she had a helmet on. And uh, so it didn't affect her head that we can tell. And, uh, uh, and so her, her surgery had to be postponed. Well, she says that I told her she couldn't ride her bike anymore until after the surgery. And uh, I don't remember saying that, but since she said, I said it, I'm going to go with it because it sounds like something I would say anyway. Not that she would especially listen, but this time she listened. So uh, Thursday afternoon, she's out in the heat of the day. Um, she had just given me a little mini lecture on uh, uh, me not getting enough exercise. I don't know what prompted her to do that, but at any rate, she did. And uh, and then I had an errand. I had to run in San Marcos, and I'm on the road. I'm, I'm in San Marcos. And phone rings, and it's Pat. And she's crying. She said, I was walking, and a car was coming, and I left the pavement to get into the ditch to let the car go by. And I immediately found a strand of barbed wire that was loose, and I tripped over it and fell. And I'm certain that I broke my arm. And sure enough, she did break her left arm right above the wrist. And so she's home today uh, uh, on pain meds, and uh, uh, and so uh, y'all pray for her. Uh, she needs uh, she needs some healing. I'm in negotiations with the orthopedic surgeon for a twofer, so uh, you can pray for me and the surgeon there, and uh, we'll see how that works out. Um, but uh, uh, been kind of a tough week at my house, uh, but uh, but God is so good. And uh, I am thrilled to be standing before you today uh, sharing a word from God's word. And uh, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. You might can turn over there. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. We're going to read a few verses there in a little bit. I'll tell you a little bit about the book of Colossians while you're finding that. Uh, this is one of the uh, letters that Paul wrote. Uh, to one of the churches uh, while he was in prison. In this particular case, he was in prison in Rome. He was in prison because he was taking a stand for Christ. Uh, and uh, some people didn't like the stand he was taking. And uh, so he was in prison and later on would actually uh, be beheaded because of his stance for Christ. Uh, he gave his, his life to the Lord. Uh, and uh, I've read one author uh, the last couple of weeks, talking about Paul and how he uh, he was such a jailbird. I mean, he was in jail um, just every time you turned around. Uh, it's estimated that he may have spent as much of a third of his life 
from the time he went on his first missionary journey until his uh, death in Rome uh, in jail because he had taken a stance for Christ and, uh, and ruffled a lot of feathers in the, in the process. Um, uh, and uh, this one author said that God had to put him in jail to slow him down so he would write these four letters to these churches. And uh, Colossae was a, a community that he had not visited. It's in uh, uh, southwest Turkey uh, in Asia Minor. Uh, and he had been to towns close by there but had not actually visited that city. It was a city of some size, but there were other cities that were uh, were uh, close by and were larger. And that was kind of Paul's uh, strategy for uh, spreading the gospel. He would go to the larger cities and he would preach in the synagogue first and then he would uh, uh, reach out to anyone that would listen to him tell about the Lord. And... Uh, some, apparently some of his converts from a nearby town that he had visited, um, uh, possibly Ephesus, uh, had gone there and had started a church. And this church was struggling because it had mixed in some things with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were, uh, um, we might recognize them if I use the uh, term Gnostic. Uh, it was a certain knowledge and uh, uh, they were mixing the true gospel of Jesus with uh, idolatry, with secularism, uh, and not too unlike the temptations that we see uh, coming to us uh, sometimes. I know that uh, uh, when I had the privilege of ch serving a church in Singapore, uh, there was a great uh, Buddhist influence there, and uh, uh, I was walking through uh, a wet market one day, an open area, courtyard area, and uh, this is on the, uh, on the equator at sea level, and there was a trash barrel there. Looked like someone had been burning stuff, and uh, I had a gum wrapper, and I was just going to toss it in that barrel. I'd been there a week, and something said, don't do that. This is out of place, and that was where the Buddhists were coming, and they were offering up their ghost money that had been blessed by the Buddhist monks, and they were burning that up to their ancestors because it was the Hungry Ghost Festival. And uh, so I, I dodged a bullet there. I didn't dodge all the bullets over there, but I dodged that one. And uh, uh, But we had, uh, on our staff there, we had a pastor that was a Singaporean, uh, but he was a very committed Christian. And he read... Our church, which was about uh, uh, oh, probably 25, 30% were Singaporean and uh, had Buddhist backgrounds, many of them. And he cautioned them about participating in the Hungry Ghost Festival and said, don't you do it. Well, that's kind of what had creeped in at uh, uh, Colossae. Uh, not with the Hungry Ghost Festival, but with other religions and other counterfeit religions were mixing in with the theology of the church. So Paul wrote to try to correct that and encourage this, uh, this church that was struggling a bit. And the outline of the, of the book is pretty simple. There's four chapters and really two parts. Uh, the first two chapters uh, talk about what Christ has done for them, and in turn, what 
Christ has done for us. And then the second part of the book, uh, or the letter, is uh, chapters 3 and 4. And he's telling them what God expects of us, how we are to change because of what Christ has done for us. And so that's, uh, that's the area that we'll be reading from uh, today uh, as we look at uh, uh, Colossians chapter 4. And we're just going to look at verses 1 through 6. So if you have your scriptures opened up, follow along with me. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful and all with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, there's a lot here in these six verses. First off, he he talks about the master of slaves. And in Rome during this time, if someone owned a slave, they owned them. I mean, it was uh, all-out ownership. Uh, if they uh, wanted to discipline their slave, they could beat their slave, and no one said anything. There would You'd be in more trouble today if you... Uh, beat an animal uh, than what you would have been then if you had beaten a slave. Um, You could even kill your slave. You could take your slave's life and it was not against any law. You could sell your slave to someone else without their permission or anyone else's permission. They were a piece of property. You could rent them out to someone else. It was a tough, tough life. And the slave really had no rights whatsoever. And Paul is telling them, he says, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The way we react to and relate with people that are under our supervision makes a difference. And he's saying he's taking the lowest person in the, in the order of things and said, you've got to treat them justly and fairly because you have a heavenly master that you're going to have to answer to. God has extended so much grace to us that we really need to be extending grace to people under our supervision. Our walk needs to be different, not for humanity's sake, but because we are children of God and, and he's going to discipline us as a good parent would. And uh, so uh, he, he warns them. Now, he's already told them how to treat family and people that they work with and such as that up in chapter 3. But now he's, he's gotten down to the bottom rung as far as society was concerned. And he said, you've got to treat them fairly. You've got to be just with them. Because you're going to have to answer to your heavenly father. And then he goes on and he 
talks about prayer. By the way, this is really talking about this, these six verses. is talking about having a way to witness about who Jesus is in your life and what he's done in your life and how you can lead someone else to that saving knowledge. So he's saying, first off, your walk as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a Christ follower, has to be different than someone who is not a Christ follower. And if you are not walking a different walk, then you're going to lose opportunities to witness. I've had people tell me that they won't come worship here because they know me or they know some of you. And, and uh, they've seen me when I shouldn't have been acting the way I did. And they said, you handled that wrong. And so I'm not going to worship for you. It's a, it can be a stumbling block to our witness. So our walk has to be different than the world's walk. You tracking with me? All right. All right. And then he goes on and he talks about praying. We're, we're talking about witnessing, leading someone else to Christ. And he talks about praying. And he's saying, pray with thanksgiving. Well, and he's also praying, he's asking us to pray for him that not that the prison doors will be open, not that someone will show up with, uh, uh, with money to bail him out of jail, but he's, he's wanting this church in Colossae to pray for him that the doors of opportunity for him to share the truth about who Jesus is will be open. So that's... Uh, if I was in the Roman jail about to lose my head, I'd probably be saying, hey, take up an offer and see if you can bribe someone to get me out of here. But now he, he's focused on the people he has opportunity to share with. And the reason we're to pray for that is that he's emphasizing that he cannot save anyone. I cannot save anyone. I can give a testimony. Paul would give a testimony. Paul would give a, a sermon. Uh, but we cannot save anyone. The only way someone can be saved is if God saves them. So he's saying, pray that God's going to open up the doors and that he's going to move in people's lives and make an impact in them. And uh, then he goes on to, uh, and he says that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And then he goes on, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. That means walk in wisdom toward people who are not part of the church. Now, that's, that's tough to tell sometimes. In John chapter 3, um, Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus and uh, tells him that he must be born again. Well, it's easy for us to tell everyone in here that's flesh and blood has been born once. And it's obvious that you were born once, that I was born once. Can you imagine me as a little baby? Oh, that's too bad. Okay. All right. But it's not so easy to tell when someone's been born again. So sometimes you have to ask them. Sometimes you have to be obvious about it. And that's tough to do. You may know the gospel message, but then how do I transition 
into a conversation with someone about the truth. Paul didn't seem to have much trouble. He was very bold, and I think this is something that we need to be prayerful about, is that God will fill us with the spirit of boldness. That we will not be afraid of being cast into prison, we'll not be afraid of losing our job, we'll not be afraid of uh, a broken relationship with a family member, but that we will love people enough to tell them the truth about who Jesus is. I want to share with you just a few possibilities on how to uh, uh, season your speech with salt, the salt of the gospel that he refers to. There's, uh, there's some different ways to go into that and, uh, and ways that I can't even come up with. You can come up with some of them your own, okay? Uh, one way is to say, can I tell you about the very best thing that ever happened to me? Now, you've got to first off know that accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is the very best thing that's ever happened to you. It's the only thing that is going to separate you from the with the with the sheep from the goats and when the judgment day comes uh, your relationship with Jesus Christ makes a difference in your eternity okay and uh, so it, it's the very best thing that's happened to me i i'm married to a great lady we've already talked about her don't tell her what i said uh, and i've got two great kids i've got some great friends i've got a great job I've had a wonderful life serving the Lord uh, after I was saved and after he called me to the ministry. Uh, There's a lot of good things, but the very best thing that ever happened to me was when I was 20 years old and I came to realize that I was lost and bound for hell and needed to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That moment was the very best thing that's ever happened to me. And if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's the very best thing that's ever happened to you, too. And if you present it that way uh, and ask permission to share with someone about the very best thing that's ever happened to you, I think most of the time they're going to say, yeah, I'd like to hear that. And it opens the door. You've asked permission. You have their ear. You can tell them. Um, there's other ways that you can salt your speech with the gospel, where you can turn conversations that are secular in nature to a gospel message, to an opportunity to pray, to an opportunity to share with someone about what's going on. I was, uh, this was a few years back, I was visiting in the hospital uh, a member of our church that was a police officer uh, with Austin uh, PD, and uh, he had just had open heart surgery and was recovering well, and I was there to visit with him. And uh, I was um, visiting with him for a little bit, and then some of his fellow officers started coming in. Well, the whole conversation changed, and it's a, a series of acrostics that I don't know about. Now, I know FBI, and I know CIA, and I know BLT, uh, but uh, uh, these other things, I'm, I'm not really... With, I mean, it's like a whole different language. And uh, so I sat there and tried to bring it all in a little bit. And finally, I just uh, said, guys, I've got to uh, pull a PTG and get out of here. And it, the whole thing stopped. And they said, a PTG? What's a PTG? I said, well, it's pray to God. And so it changed the conversation 
from their work to a conversation about God and his importance. Uh, so, and that was for the moment. I'm old and crusty and my brain about halfway works. You can come up with better stuff than that, okay? Uh, you, you never know when an opportunity is going to arise. And you really need to know where that person is with Christ because you can't tell by looking at them if they've been born again. We had a, a dear deacon who, in our church here that uh, is no longer with us. He's gone on to the Lord. He's up there kicking up gold dust, um, Ray Worrell. And uh, I was in the hospital one day up in Kyle and visiting with a, a family, and he and his wife showed up, and uh, he said, Why, there's my neighbor, my next-door neighbor is up on another floor. Would you go and pray with him? And I said, I'd be delighted to go up there and pray for him. And I said, what about his spiritual condition? Now, Ray was an evangelist. He would witness to anyone that would stand still to hear the gospel. But at that moment, he was a little bit embarrassed and said, you know, I've been his neighbor for years, and I do not know what his relationship with the Lord is. I don't even know if he goes to church because every Sunday morning we're out the door coming up here. And I don't know if he goes to church or if he stays home. I do not know. And so I said, well, let's, let's go up there and talk with him. And, you know, when someone asks you to pray, there's an open door there. Uh, we went into the room, and he introduced me as one of the pastors here at the church. And, and uh, uh, he said, I've asked Wyatt to come up and pray with you. Is that okay? And he said, absolutely, that's great. And so Ray was ready to get the prayer said and get on down the way. And he, uh, he was ready to pray. I mean, he had accomplished what he was uh, there for. He was going to have me pray for his next-door neighbor. And I said, just a minute. Uh, I've just met you. And before I pray for you, I need to know if you're a Christ follower. Because it's going to make a difference in how I pray. And it will. If I know someone is in dire straits and he was and he was close to death. If I know someone's in dire straits, I need to know if they know my Lord or not. Because when we die, we will go to one of two places. The scriptures tell us either we're going to be in glory with Jesus. We're going to be restored to the point where God created us to be in full fellowship with him. Or we're going to be away from him in a place called hell that is eternal, everlasting fire and torment. And it's important to know where someone's going. And if they're lost, if they do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and by the way, that's the only way they can come to know Christ, come to the Lord and be in heaven because Jesus in uh, John 14 6 he said I am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father except by me there's only one way um, Ray was amazed 
because his neighbor that he had known for years said, absolutely, I am a Christ follower. I love the Lord. And he went into his personal testimony, said what his life was like before he accepted Christ, how he had accepted Christ and what God was doing in his life today. Praise the Lord. Now I know how I can pray for him. All right. And we never know who's listening. I was in the hospital this last week uh, ministering to someone who had just gone through an angiogram and they were in the recovery room. And I knew that uh, uh, her children were going to be up there in a little while and I, I wanted to witness to them. And so I stuck around until they got there. And then I told them about my Lord. I, I, uh, I, I, they did not accept Christ but I think I put a rock in their shoe that every time they take a step, they're going to think, oh man, I need to do something about this Jesus guy. Hopefully that's what I did. Hopefully they'll call me someday and say, hey, we want to know more about Jesus. But you never know who's going to be there. I felt like I'd struck out with the, the witnessing encounter, but as I finished up with a prayer and then was leaving the nurse that was attending to this lady came up to me and gave me a hug and said thank you for your witness for Christ thank you for praying for me and the rest of the staff here at the hospital I, was, I, I didn't even know she was listening we have to season our speech with the salt of the gospel there's no other word. There's nothing else that's going to change their life like the gospel will. Um, I want to tell you, too, that uh, it helps if you've got an accountability partner. Uh, I'm going to give you a tool here, a new tool that most of you have not seen. Uh, and uh, I want to uh, ask that you consider using this, that you would study it, that you would... Uh, uh, know what it says, how to manipulate the, the app, and it's an app. By the way, uh, how many of you have a smartphone? Raise your hand. Okay, I, I see some of the phones lifted up. Okay, if you've got a QR, co uh, QR reader uh, on your phone, uh, you turn over to the back of the bulletin. How many of you did not get a bulletin? Michael, spring into action there. Michael's got some. He's going to give some. You can share this, uh, but there's a, there's a QR code on the back of the bulletin that you can read with your QR reader. Now, I'm assuming a little bit here. Most of this congregation knows what a QR reader is, don't you? Okay. The first service, I found myself out in the foyer explaining it and helping them download a QR reader and... Uh, uh, and showing them how this this code, Michael got some more over here. All right, we got someone sharing. That's all right. It's covered. All right. Well, nope. All over the place, Michael. You're going to get your aerobics today. Um, but most of y'all are aware of what a QR reader is, and uh, and that will take you right to the app store. And you can download, the, download this app that I'm going to show you how to work through. Now, if you don't have a smartphone, by the way, 
Everyone that's got a smartphone has it with them all the time. I get phone calls, texts, emails, news, sports. Don't be checking your sports. Not now. Okay? Uh, uh, but uh, it's good to have an evangelistic tool on there too. And this is a very simple, straightforward evangelistic tool. And I'm going to walk you through this. And uh, I'm going to have to pick up the pace here a little bit. Go ahead and swipe to the next one. Um, this is going to have three circles on it. And the first one is God's design. Uh, God has a design. God, You can see it all over in nature that God has a design. You've heard of the... Uh, uh, the guy that found uh, the watch out in the forest and, and just decided that it just kind of fallen into place there. No, there was a watchmaker that had designed that watch and someone had lost it there. Same way here. We, we are living in God's creation, uh, but it's broken. And the reason it's broken, you just swipe it over and it's sin. Now, we can blame it on Eve and Adam uh, all we want to, but uh, not only did they sin, but we sinned as well. Uh, Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means why it's sin, you've sinned, we've all sinned. And because of that sin, we have brokenness in our lives and in our world. And uh, you see these squiggly lines. These are efforts, these represent efforts of people trying to get out of the brokenness without Christ. There's things like drunkenness and drug use. There's things like idol worship and materialism. Uh, there's just trying to be good enough. There's all this stuff that we try to get out of the brokenness. Not so many days ago, there was a, a man that was uh, worshiping in a, in a false religion. He was Islamic. And uh, he also had homosexual tendencies, and he knew he was not uh, acceptable to God in that state as far as Islam would say. And uh, uh, he recognized it as sin. But instead of uh, going God's way, he went the way of his religion, and he decided, what I need to do is I need to kill as many of these people who, as many of these infidels that are practicing homosexual or related, homosexuality or related to that, I need to just put them out of their misery and I'm going to go too and then I'll be acceptable to Allah, is what he was thinking. He bought into the lie because Jesus said in John 14, 6, no man comes to the Father except by me, and that's the gospel message John 3.16 is the gospel in a nutshell. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But it's more than just knowing that. You have to repent and believe. And that's very evident in a, a passage in Romans. Uh, Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's not rocket science. That's very simple and straightforward. But it's not just knowing what the gospel is. You can back up on that if you would. It's not just knowing what the gospel is. It's repenting and believing. Again, Romans 
10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now, that's got to be more than lip service. Okay? If he's the Lord of your life, if he's the boss of your life, he's the master of your life, you're going to do the things that he says to do that are recorded in his word. You're going to be obedient to him. You're going to repent. You're going to turn away from the things that you've been doing, and you're going to turn to the ways that God is leading you in. Have you really done that? Have you really said with your mouth, Jesus is my Lord and meant it? If you haven't, man, today's the day. You're not going to get any younger. Today's the day to say, I'm done with my way. I'm going to go God's way. But it's not just repenting. It's not just turning from your way and turning to God's way. It's also believing. It says, if you uh, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised you from the dead, that means you know who he really is, that he is our Lord and Savior. He is the Son of God. He led the perfect life. He died on the cross for my sins and God raised him from the dead. It's repenting and believing the truth about who Jesus is. And then once we do that, once we repent and believe and we embrace the gospel, then we begin a road of recovery and, uh, and purpose. Um, he changes our lives. I, I, I was listening to uh, John Maxwell's uh, sermon uh, earlier this week or the week before, I can't remember which, and he talked about John Newton. John Newton wrote the great hymn, Amazing Grace. And uh, uh, before he accepted Christ, he was a sailor. He was a British sailor. He deserted from the British Navy. Uh, but his claim to fame as a British sailor was that he could cuss for two hours straight and never repeat himself. But at, and then he got into the slave trading business he had some navigational skills, so he was on a slave ship transporting people that were being sold into slavery. And one day they were in some rough water, and they thought for sure they were going to sink, and the captain sent him down into the belly of the ship, and he was down there with a hand pump pumping water out of the belly of the ship for three days. And then he began to remember verses remember the message that he had learned as a young child and was saved. And then he became a preacher and later penned the words, Amazing Grace. God is in the life-changing business. All too many of us, myself included, can relate to John Newton's earlier days. But praise God that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he has given me renewed purpose. He's given me recovery from the sins that I've so embraced as a young man.
He can do the same in your life. Now, I know that Pastor Mike has several times taught you to write out your testimony, what your life was before you knew Christ, how you came to know Christ, and what Christ is doing in your life today. You can use this same app, the same drawing. This is where I was when I was lost. And then I came to know Christ in a very personal way. I embraced the gospel, and he has changed my life. That doesn't mean I'm, all, I'm forever exempt from sinning because I still stumble. But it does not need to be a lifestyle that we embrace. When we catch ourselves in sin and the Holy Spirit convicts us that we are involved in sin, we need to turn away from it. We have the power to do just that. Now, I hope today that all of you with a smartphone that have uh, a concern for a lost person will download that app, that you'll study it and you'll use it. Uh, Paul asked for prayers for him. We need to be praying for our, our missionaries today. We've got the Gillies from our church that are going back to Central Asia before long. We've got Donna Campbell that's over in Kenya doing great work over there. We've got thousands of other missionaries uh, internationally. We've got uh, uh, missionaries in North America and South and, uh, and even here in Texas. We need to be praying for them, supporting them. We do that in so many ways. Um, uh, we're going to be supporting our chaplains uh, with some stuff that uh, Ian will be telling you about here in a little bit. We need to pray for them that the door will be open for them to share the gospel. But we also need to pray for ourselves and ask that God would use us. Now today you may be here and you've never really embraced the gospel for yourself. I hope that today will be the day of your salvation and I want to talk with you. I want to open up God's word and tell you how you can be saved. We can even look at this app again. But I know too that Summertime, there's going to be a lot of family gatherings. There's going to be people that you love that need to hear about Jesus Christ. And I hope that you'll take this app, you'll put it on your phone, you'll study it, you'll figure out how to share the gospel with your friends.